we got three different duels in this episode, right? With an Inquisitor, two Padawans, and with two Masters. Just an epic lightsaber battle scene. And I think that that's part of what makes this the Star Wars I've been waiting for. The choreography was so good. Their stances and their styles are changing. And she takes advantage of the environment, which is a very Anakin raised during the Clone Wars as a Jedi thing. And if the ref's not looking, you can kick him a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> Simpsons did it. <laughs> everyone to Krypton to Alderaan. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Looks. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello, and we're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture stuff, but it's mostly Star Wars. And today we will be talking about, screaming about, crying, <laughs> throwing up about Ahsoka Part 4, Fallen Jedi. But first, if you like what we have to say here, stick around and check out some of our other episodes and then subscribe so you get notified about other conversations and other things we talk about, uh, whether it's about Ahsoka or otherwise. I know every content creator says this. Smash that subscribe button so I get more subscribers and followers. I thought we were the only ones. <laughs> and to some extent, it's always very self-serving. And we like that too. Like, I love seeing our numbers go up. But I think one of our whys as Krypton to Alderaan, the brand, is building a community. And that's also something we would like to develop and interact with you all. And we want to hear what you have to say. And we do have some fans that always return and comment on videos, which has been incredible to see. So thank you all very much who do that. We'd love to get more of an interactive following and community. That's what we're all about here. That's part of like our why and our brand. Talk to us in the comments. We'll be there. Yeah, we love interacting with you all. And that's all I have to say about that. What do you think about that, Royce? Let's punch it. Let's punch it. All right. There's another theme that's recurring with, the, with this show. So we've talked about what does it mean to be a Jedi, you know? And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Another theme that's recurring for me personally is, is this the best Star Wars? Is this the Star Wars I've been waiting for? And I got to tell you, yes, it is. Is that the theme of the show or is that the title <laughs> of this podcast episode? <laughs> what's going to get the, what's the most clickbaity title? Look, as much as I've talked about community building, how can we get the most clicks? I think I also already named an episode, is Ahsoka the best Star Wars or something like that. But it's what I've been waiting for. It's amazing. I even, I, I even said it in an Instagram story. Hey, another thing, go follow us on Instagram. This episode touched on that so much for me. Oh, I'm aghast. I'm speechless. But I also simultaneously have a lot to say. I was going to say, it doesn't really sound like you're speechless. <laughs> Normally, we have to cut a lot of silent spots. Maybe we're going to have to put in some pauses. Boy, oh boy, was this episode phenomenal. I'm going to provide a lot of evidence, I think, for why. Lightsabers. Lightsabers. I rest my case. That's pretty much it. But I'm going back to a thing that we used to do, which we've gotten away from, but it was that I would ask you how you felt about the episode at the top of the show. So how did you feel about the episode at the top of our show? Based on our conversation last week, where we were like, hey, this episode was kind of short. And uh, it leaves you off in this cliffhanger. Well, I like that episode, but it was different than, you know, maybe the other 
two premieres that were longer and kind of like smushed together a little bit more. But now we're on episode four and we're off to the races. This was like almost the same format as last week where, boom, at the end, you get a little stinger for next week. Tune in to see more because you know you got to see what happens next. I was totally satisfied with that. I love the linear storytelling like you brought up last week. Pick up where we left off, leave off on a cliffhanger and continue the story. I will say I'm a little bit nervous to see what happens in episode five. Because <laughs> I think if we go through the uh, series for the Disney Plus streaming Star Wars shows, episode five tends to be the cameo episode. Uh, I think that's when Ahsoka originally showed up in Mandalorian mm -hmm. season two. Uh, I think that's when the Mandalorian showed up in the book of Boba Fett. Uh, so episode five is our you know conspiracy theory of when things tend to get potentially derailed <laughs> in the series. So we'll see. I know we're talking about next week. We're jumping ahead of ourselves. But I loved that this week kind of echoed last week and we're moving forward. And I thought there was certainly a lot of good Jedi stuff, which is to speak to your point of this show is for me. I love it. Who doesn't love Jedi stuff? So I'm in. I'm satisfied <laughs> with that. And we got a lot of great spaceship stuff. We got to see the ghost. This was our first look at the ghost in live action since this show has started. We've only seen the Phantom, I'm pretty sure, until this yeah. episode. So even that was goosebumps on me. I, a couple of things here. One, episode five, yes, maybe in the series history, but Empire, come on. That's what we got. That's what we got to work with. Also, secondly, I'm a little concerned you keep using the word satisfied because I don't fully, I don't think that satisfied fully encapsulates how I feel about the ending specifically and this episode. And I really need us to be on the same page here. Mm. So mm. <laughs> you can count on me. Ooh, good <laughs> stuff. Or can you? Or can you? We'll put in a Ron Howard narrator. He couldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So I think we're talking really fast here. Everyone can sense <laughs> our excitement. Uh, I'm really stoked to get into this. I do think I want to pull on that thread a little bit more of what does it mean to be a Jedi? Because we do see a little bit more of it, I think, in this episode, and I think differently than how we've been talking about it so far. But these questions still surrounding Sabine, I really like that we're like kind of peeling back the layers as we answer this question. It feels very different from Mandalorian asking, what does it mean to be a Mandalorian? Because we're getting more and more into Sabine as we go. I don't know. Something just feels different there. Maybe it's because I like Jedi more. But she's both. And anyway, I think a big theme within that kind of thread of this episode is the test. We have seen every single Jedi and, and Jedi-adjacent character in Star Wars, like main character, have this moment of being tested. And that's where the, can I count on you? Yes, but maybe not thing comes in. So what did you see? That was the main thing I saw for this like thread we've been pulling on. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is Ahsoka and Sabine, you've got to work together. Hugh Yang saying, stick together. You'll thank me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that also. <laughs> not the sassy droid, Joey says. Yeah, well, well, they were also sassy to him. Okay, let's talk about that scene. I love when he says that. I do think like we were going into this moment of being like, oh, is something going to happen? And he says, do me a favor, stick together, which also like hit me emotionally. Like he cares. He cares about them. He says, you always you you two always did better that way, in my opinion. And then they like bow to him and they also have that fun little like team bonding moment. Ahsoka smiles and Sabine says together and she bows and he's like, oh, very good. You know, like 
don't mock me, just stick together. Yeah, I kind of read that like they were brushing him off a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, and they, they're yeah. totally foreshadowing that they're gonna go on separate paths and they end up doing that and it, it costs them a lot in the end. There's all this, like, you gotta listen a little bit more. You gotta listen to Hugh Yang. Sabine's gotta listen to Ahsoka, you know? And maybe, I don't know what this stuff with Anakin at the end, I know we'll get to it, but like, there's something here of the like learning from your older generation, but also following, uh, you know, to quote something from that Book of Boba Fett episode with the Mando, Ahsoka tells Mando, sometimes the student guides the master. There's a different way to do things. And sometimes maybe you do got to trust the, the Padawan, the youngling, and maybe they not necessarily know better than you, but they have a different point of view, a certain point of view that maybe you need to respect from time to time. And they're trying to find a balance with this relationship with Ahsoka and Sabine and Hugh Yang. They're all on totally different pages. Hugh Yang wants to be the old Republic kind of Jedi guy, follow the rules. Ahsoka kind of does whatever she wants, but she was in that realm. And Sabine is this whole new generation of like, what does it mean to be a Jedi? I don't know. I guess you don't even need the freaking force. So it's just a little confusing in that regard that like everybody's kind of in flux. No one's on the same page. Right. That goes in to what I'm saying here about the test, right? Even in universe and then also in another very meta way, let's start with Luke. Didn't listen to Yoda. Failed in that cave on Dagobah. Rey, didn't listen to Luke. Failed in that cave on Octo. This is a recurring theme in Star Wars and specifically we have seen it with like main character Jedi, Anakin, all over the place. And so much of that is wrapped up in this, like, what does it mean to be the Jedi? In the High Republic, there are these Jedi who, like, take kind of a rumspringer uh, from the Jedi Order to go figure out how to live in the real world, and then they eventually come back. So there are all these tests involved with listening and learning from the previous generation, which in the real world we don't do. And also, like, Yoda saying, the best teacher failure is, right? Not necessarily meaning we fail and then as individuals and then learn from it. But I think also the student learning from the master's failure. And I think that that might be coming up in the next episode of Ahsoka if she is interacting with Anakin, of Anakin relaying all of this. There are different ways to do things, but learn from my, obviously, I made mistakes, right? Learn from mistakes, but also let your student guide you. I love this, and I love this conversation, and I love that Sabine was also tested in this way. And she chose wrong, like everyone else did. Luke submitted to, to fear. Rey submitted to fear and a desire to, like, know who, where she comes from and who she, what her place is in all this, right? Anakin submitted to the fear of losing everything he loved again a second time. There's so much of this wrapped up in it, and I... It's just continuing that thread for me. So I will also say that I was not like upset that Sabine made that choice. It's so very Star Wars to me. Like the person has to make a mistake in order to grow. And like you're saying, the master being led by the student, that might be how Sabine leads Ahsoka to Peridia or if they even, you know, if we see everybody go there or not. But I, I do think that there's a reconcilable relationship there, even though this is what Sabine chose. But I wasn't surprised. I wasn't put off. I wasn't upset that she made that choice. Yeah, it seems like everybody has room to grow and learn from each other. I love the poetry moment of like, you're, you're bringing up all this stuff with Yoda. 
you know, Luke wants to leave and go save Han and Leia and Chewie and 3PO and whatever. And Yoda's like, if you honor what you fight for, you'll stay here and, and finish your training. You know, if Sabine honored Ezra, she'd destroy the map, you know, but she doesn't. She's got this attachment to Ezra. Luke had that attachment to Han and Leia. Of course, this is the tension that we need for a story to be told to us that, of course, she's got to make the wrong decision. We're at episode four, right? She, this is, you know, an inciting incident sort of thing, right? It works really well when you're watching and you're like, do the right thing. Like, had she blown it up, you know? And then what is Ahsoka going to fly out of the water at that moment? And they defeat Balin and then the series is over halfway through the series. So it works well in the context of telling a story. But it's frustrating when you're watching because, come on, do the right thing. You and I, as like these 30-something-year-old dudes, like, come on, do better than that. Like, I think we're probably more identifying with Ahsoka in this realm or maybe we're bailing and we're a little bit more jaded of like, I'm serving a greater purpose now, you know? Yeah. But it's interesting to watch that unfold because you're like, just listen to Ahsoka. You guys should have worked as a team and you could have defeated your enemies one by one systematically and maybe actually saved the day. But now you've put that off. But you'll, like you said, you'll fail at the moment and you'll learn from that as we go on. So it will be interesting to see how that shapes up. But also them calling this episode Fallen Jedi, it's like, well, what does that mean? Is this like her kind of... Now she's on a ship with Balin and Shin right. and all these bad guys, and she's going to meet Thrawn. They're not going to rescue Ezra, even though that's what Balin said. Said he's a man of his word. We don't know anything about Balin, though. He says he's lost his faith. That doesn't sound like an honorable man to me. So mm. very interesting threads that they're leaving there. Oh, so much to say here. I don't necessarily think that she did the wrong thing. And I don't think Luke did the wrong thing. And I don't necessarily think that Anakin always did the wrong thing. I think the Jedi prescribed that this is the right thing to do from the perspective of the Jedi. They're going into that situation automatically thinking that they're doing the wrong thing. Whereas like, if I were Luke, going to save my friends would take precedent over. And that that has become like a trope in, in every sci-fi since then. Someone leaves their training, Avatar, The Last Airbender, Harry Potter, someone leaves their training to go fight for their friends. And is it the right thing or the wrong thing to do? But it always works out, right? It always ends up being success in the end. Maybe not exactly an empire, but then in Return of the Jedi. She's going to find Ezra, and then they can make it up as they go how to escape that situation, which is a very Star Wars Rebels thing. Like, we're going to break into the base and then figure out how to get out of the base, right? And I think that Balin in this way is a reflection, the opposite of Ahsoka. He's saying almost the same things to Sabine but he's on the kind of quote-unquote opposite side. He's lost his faith. Ahsoka kind of lost her faith because the Jedi Council specifically like persecuted her and she left and is now made to feel like she abandoned Anakin and it's kind of like her fault. She's feeling remorse for that. They're both kind of on the same path, but maybe like Balin's from the upside down. Maybe Balin's the Vecna to Ahsoka's Eleven or something like that. <laughs> so... I wouldn't necessarily say that I think she made the wrong choice, but it did come with consequences like Ahsoka falling off the cliff and Sabine has no idea what happened to Hera. And then the really heartbreaking moment of Balin reading her and saying, you feel like Ezra's the only family you have left. Whereas she has the ghost crew and she has Ahsoka and she has Hu Yang. But for some reason, somehow along the way, she feels like Ezra's all that there is. I could see why she made the choice, and I don't think it's necessarily the wrong choice. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's like, 
You know, I do like Balin. It seems like you may be a little bit of a Balin stan yourself. He pulls a Darth Plagueis on her is the way I read it, you know? Oh, you know, if you want to save your friend, you know, the only way to do it is to become an agent of evil. That's kind of how I was reading that scene as Balin was like playing into everything that she wanted. You know, how do you get someone yes. to do what you want them to do? You, Oh, you want to be united with Ezra? Hey, join the join our crew. That's how I was looking at that, that that was maybe a little bit more sinister than neutral. But we'll find out. We don't know. We don't have any idea. I think he's a super interesting character and I really want to know more. And he did defend her when Shin starts choking her. You know, he's like, yeah. I gave her my word. So they did give you a clue. He kept his word. Yeah. We don't necessarily know what reuniting with Ezra means. Like he says, you will be reunited with your friend. Well, what if he's dead, right? Or what if he's... In I never a, said he'd be, yeah. Ooh. Ooh. What if he's in a cell or something, right? Balin's a super interesting character. We're getting to the point of, we're like, we're going into episode five. I want to know more about him, but I really don't want them to spend time giving us his backstory in the show. So maybe like some extra content or a comic book run or something like that I would love. But super interesting character. And I do think like both fell out of faith in the Jedi. And I want to know why. And he's also very much like, okay, this might be a silly little thing, but I started noticing when he and Ahsoka are about to battle and they both take their capes off, their attire is exactly the opposite. Right? She has her shoulders bare. He has these big hulking, like, knight armor on his shoulders. They're very much opposing each other in every way that I was putting together in that scene. Even his fighting style is this very kind of classical style, and Ahsoka holds yeah. her saber, you know, behind her back or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. And he's very, like, knight. He's standing there. His stance with his sword is very, like, knight slash baseball player, I yes. guess. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, just super fascinating to see that anti-poetry, I guess. I don't really know what to call it. But but both appealing to Sabine, even in those moments of, of where she needs to make a choice. And both like coming from this society that like, I love the Jedi, but sometimes they were a little bit manipulative of people to get what they want. Oh, so good. It's also just so good, right? Like this is like, to write that and then to have us be able to like vamp about it for however long we've been doing is just incredible. And it's written really well. And some of it is, it's just so intriguing and it makes us want to learn more. And it's like making me hungry for the next thing, right? And episode five, Dave Filoni wrote and directed. I think we should say again, like episode four, written by Dave Filoni. All of these episodes are written by Dave Filoni. And I think you can really tell. Next episode written and directed by Dave Filoni. So very excited to see where that goes. Another thing about Jedi indoctrination and kind of losing faith in the Jedi, we're going to go back a little bit to Ahsoka questioning Sabine and maybe that leading her, that being that moment of if you leave now to save your friends, you're giving up on everything that they fight for. Because Ahsoka, at two moments, she says, can I count on you? And Sabine says, you know you can. And then Ahsoka says, sometimes we have to do the right thing regardless of our personal feelings. And Sabine questions it. She says, do you really believe that? And Ahsoka takes pause because that's a very Jedi. It's true, but it's a very Jedi sentiment. And she pauses and she sighs. And it's one of those, another one of those moments in the show that's slow. And she takes a beat and she says, when the stakes are this high, I have to. Which is, again, like questioning the Jedi. But it's also very Star Wars to me because these questions of programming come up a lot, especially in recent Star Wars. The clones. I think it's a quote from The Clone Wars. Isn't that what somebody programmed you to believe? You know, and then the whole Bad Batch thing. 
Ezra questions Canaan and Canaan's teaching. Canaan says, do or do not, there is no try. And Ezra says, what does that even mean? And Canaan says, you know, I don't know. Uh, Master Yoda just used to say it a lot. So like Canaan's so indoctrinated, he doesn't even know what he's saying. Hey, if you want to know what do or do not, there is no try means, I, for Krypton to Alteron, interviewed a Buddhism professor a couple years ago, and she explained it to me, how it's actually not super confusing. It means this thing, and George Lucas was influenced by Asian religions and stuff when making Star Wars. So go listen to that. It's fascinating. But anyway, so all of these, like, questioning the Jedi, which I think is good, right? It's leading to this next generation of maybe more healthy relationship with the Order. All right. Healthy relationship. Ahsoka defeats Merak, and then... Shin and Sabine pause, and they're like, oh, what happened? Shin seems kind of distraught over the fact that Merrick was defeated, which is interesting. Like, they're obviously, I don't know if she was like, oh, I'm, I'm done for if it's two against one, or if she was just, you know, upset about that loss. And then Sabine just says, go on, Ahsoka. And Hugh Yang told them to stay together, and they'd be together. And Ahsoka, the master, immediately leaves. I would have been more interested if Sabine was like, here's my opportunity to ditch and go save Ezra. And Ahsoka can finish off Shin or something. You know, the whole Anakin, like, I'm going to take him now. You know, just head into the battle, just dive right in. But Ahsoka leaves Sabine behind. I really didn't understand that. I, I know the stakes are high, that they're trying to get to the map, you know, before the bad guys get, get to the map sort of thing. But she leaves her Padawan behind. Ahsoka knows that she's flawed. And we heard it in the first episode when she's talking to Hera. She, she says something like, Anakin never finished my training. I abandoned him just like I abandoned Sabine. So she has this regret, and to some extent, she maybe abandoned Sabine again on the battlefield, but she had also just said, sometimes we have to do the right thing regardless of our personal feelings, right? And so she thinks that the right thing is going and stopping the enemy, quote-unquote, very like Tolkien language here from Gandalf, the enemy from getting to Thrawn. So I think that that plays into this a little bit. And I think that it is also something she is going to end up regretting, abandoning Sabine again, and it leading to this next step where now Sabine is lost. The map is destroyed and Ahsoka cannot find her unless they pull a Raiders of the Lost Ark from the burn on her hand or whatever. That map was our last hope. No, there is another. Um, yeah, so I do think that there is a little bit of that wrapped up in there. She believes she's doing the right thing, so she ran off. I think we know that Sabine's no match for Shin. They haven't had a lot of time to continue her training. She did embrace being a Mandalorian, so maybe that should have done better. And really, in the end, she did win against her, but Shin smoke-bombed her way out of it. And then Ahsoka's personal feelings come out, because she thinks that Shin killed Sabine. Right. And just like in the last episode, anger is quick to give you power. Right. But it messes with your footing. Oh, no. When you're on the edge of a cliff, Ahsoka, maybe you should take some of your own damn advice. That's dope connection. I did not realize that, but that's awesome. Yes, she was quick to anger and it was quick to power, but then she lost her footing. Incredible. That's awesome. And Sabine taking advantage of that moment with Shin when she's distracted by Mirag. I don't know if there's like a warrior's honor type thing involved in all of that, or if it just happens so quick, right? Like we see all these things and we're Monday morning quarterback. I don't know what sports are, but I know that that's a phrase in the vernacular. Well, but if if you're fighting someone and they're distracted and you're literally trying to like defeat them, that was her opportunity to like return the favor from being stabbed in episode one. You know, She mm. had an opportunity, but instead everybody just took a second to like 
take halftime. So realistically, <laughs> that didn't make a lot of sense. But sports. they had to separate Ahsoka and Sabine for the story, obviously. Right. Sports, and guess sports. what? <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? Maroc is nobody. He's the smoke monster, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was, I think what they were alluding to was that he was like a reincarnation, Night Sister magic that, you know, hmm. if anyone's familiar with the Night Sisters or Jedi Fallen Order, we've seen very similar things. Just a cool thing. And I also love that kind of troll moment from the creators of the show. Like, everyone's going to be wondering who this character is. Well, guess what? He's a puff of smoke. I, th- <laughs> I think we did that to ourselves, but maybe they wrote that in there as a, he's nobody, he's nothing. All right, before we move on to any other uh, left field theories, I want to pick up on a conversation that we we put a pin in last week about maybe the music for this scene. I theorize, hey, maybe we get a little Duel of Fates action here, right? Some kind of epic lightsaber battle. We did get a lot of epic lightsaber battle, and we got a lot of really interesting Star Wars music. I'm going to have to say I love Kevin Kiner, but John Williams is still the master. Oh, dope. So no so no Duel of Fates It's still, still great, and I obviously haven't been listening to it for 20 plus years. So, you know, put that, right. you know, asterisk on it as well. <laughs> yeah. Music was great. I think what happened was it was the classic Star Wars, like, we're having a lightsaber battle and there's explosions. So there's going to be a lot of cool sound effects, uh, especially with Ahsoka's battle with Balin. It starts off dead silent and they're just turning around that whatever that cool little uh, structure is, that temple. They're just walking around that temple and it's a slow burn to even start the fight. And then the music kind of slowly creeps up and it comes in and out and they're, they're jumping from different scenes. So no Duel of Fates, but there's some interesting score behind there. Balin, he's got a, I don't know if it's like Balin's theme or if this is intertwined with other parts, but he's got like the Sideshow Bob theme. He's got a very similar theme to Sideshow Bob, which I love, but that's also like, I guess Sideshow Bob is evil, but he's also intellectual. I'm sure there's no direct correlation between (laughs) those universes. Simpsons did it. (laughs) Take that for what you will. And the moment where Sabine tries to use the force, it gets very quiet for a moment. And it's not, but it is, same notes, but a little bit different of a contour. And it's in kind of like a triplet feel rather than like duples. So I know... I'm trying to make Duel of Fates a thing in every Star Wars here. Like Andor, they've got Marva's March and there's some similarities there. But I think, you know, you're talking about what's my Star Wars? Like, you got to give us some of those moments. Like, that is, that's something to strive for. If you want to make something that stands the test of time, there's your your North Star. Kiner's great. I got to listen to that scene again, see if I can pick up some more little uh, tidbits there. But that's my little rant on the uh, the music for this ep. So... That's interesting. And I love this music stuff. So do you think that the thing with Sabine, the musical cue with Sabine, do you think that's meant to be questioning? Like we were all sitting there questioning, oh, does she have the force? And it sounds when you just did it, it sounds like it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What is it? Yeah. Kind of of musical cue. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Well, I think if, if we wanted to cue into her having the ability, they'd play the burn. Like that's, Mm. that's perfect for that to be like, Ooh, she's getting there, you know? And then, then mm-hmm. you could abruptly cut it off, even if she doesn't fully tap into it. But that that is the classic, like, oh, this is the the end for you. That's not a mm-hmm. happy theme. This is the Mandalorian thing. Mm-hmm. Same idea there. It's not really the heroic. It, I mean, it could be a heroic moment, but it's a turning point, 
not to the positive, I would say. Uh, I love these music conversations. We should uh, we should have more of the music conversations. Also, I think the title for this episode is now It's No Duel of Fates. I love it. Let's talk about the lightsaber battle. I mean, we talked about it a bit, but what'd you think? Did you like it? Were you enthralled? Dude, I mean, okay, so yeah, with Duel of Fates, man, I mean, you had the double lightsaber blade with Maul. It's like, whoa, that's pretty darn cool, right? And it was a... Uh, Three people fighting at once, which was kind of new for Star Wars at that time. I don't think there was any triple lightsaber fights in the original trilogy. And we got three different duels in this episode, right? With an Inquisitor, two Padawans, and with two Masters. There's nothing to complain about there. And we've already gushed about Balin. So yeah, that was great. I mean, we're kind of spoiled in that sense. Just, yeah, just an epic lightsaber battle scene. And I think that that's part of what makes this the Star Wars I've been waiting for. I love the emotion. There's tons of emotional stuff in this episode, even when Ahsoka and Balin are fighting. That fight was so good. The choreography was so good. All of it. Like like you were saying, their stances and their styles are changing and they're adapting. And she's like got her, her leg on one of the henge stones and her like as she's m- using them to move off of them and stuff. Yeah, Ahsoka kind of fights dirty, you know, like she's in like WWE or something and she's putting on the moves. She takes advantage of the environment, which is a very Anakin, like raised raised during the Clone Wars as a Jedi thing. And if the ref's not looking, you can kick him a couple of times. <laughs> Simpsons did it. Okay, so with the last little bit of time here, I know we've talked about a lot, but we cannot, cannot, cannot leave. We cannot hit the stop button on the recorder <laughs> without talking about the final scene. But let's start with that transition, okay? We've seen lots of wipes in Ahsoka. This transition was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Panning away from the cliff and they see the ocean and then it slowly becomes like the world between worlds and Ahsoka lying on the pathway. It's amazing. React more. It was amazing. It, it was smooth. Yeah, I was waiting to make my joke. It wasn't a wipe. It was a wave. Uh, <laughs> but that, that was great because you're like, is she going to just pop up out of the water? Is she going to, you yeah. know, pull the Leia Jedi is moment she and fly floating? up? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and you're, you're wondering what's going to happen next. And then all of a sudden we're no longer in, you know, reality, right? Oh, oh my God. It's so beautiful. My immediate thought was like, I want to draw this somehow. Like, I want to make art of this transition between the sea and seeing her on the path in the world between worlds. Oh my goodness. Just to be able to think of that is incredible. Like the design of that, like uh, kudos to whoever came up with the idea for that transition because it worked so well and it's amazing. And we transition into more mystical Star Wars stuff, which is my friggin' jam. So she's in the world between worlds. Do you, have you seen enough of the Clone Wars to feel something when you hear Anakin say, hey, Snips. Uh, I didn't catch that the first time through. I caught it the second time uh, with subtitles on. I think I saw someone tweet that and I was like, did he really freaking say that? Yeah, no, he did. What hit me in that scene was Ahsoka being like, one, where am I? And then hearing Anakin's voice and her face kind of like everything drops out of it. Like, what? She's genuinely like aghast at that moment. And then they turn around and we see de-aged Hayden Christensen there. So I I would like to hear you tee this up before I (laughs) sprinkle any kind of spice on it. Okay, let's sprinkle some spice on it. And by spice, I mean love, because that's the secret ingredient to this scene. Uh, As someone who the Clone Wars is probably their favorite piece of Star Wars media, hearing the live action version of Anakin, I, I actually don't know if Matt Lanter's voice was also played in there, who voiced Anakin in the animated stuff. 
But hearing that and seeing that on screen, I sat up immediately. It filled, I got chills. It filled me with all of the feelings. And then to see her in that space, it's the second time she's been in that space. Obviously, not everybody knows that. But she is very confused. She has a very worried look. And then when she says master, and again, it's more drawn out. There's lots of silent space. And she goes to like touch her head like she's confused or she feels weird. And then we hear Anakin say, I didn't expect to see you so soon. And then she turns around and sees him. Just everything. We knew that Hayden Christensen was going to be in this series. Even up until the last 20 seconds of this episode, if you would have asked me, I would have said we're going to get a flashback. We're going to get a flashback with training or with her leaving him or something like that. We see him as something, force ghost, force entity, something in the world between worlds addressing her as master and Padawan. She says master and then calls him Anakin. And as soon as she turns around, like you said, her facial features completely changed. She's happy. It was just, I felt so amazing. I felt like, damn, this is Star Wars. This is so good, right? If anyone else out there at that moment just went, this is so good, let us know. Get in the comments because I was right there with you. So now that I've sprinkled some love on it, I think there is one more thing I want to talk about with it, but we can hold off. Now that I've sprinkled some love, (laughs) what do you think? I'm really interested to see what happens next in the conversation. You know, again, that's the stinger for next episode. Is he there to teach her a lesson or is it just to get a flashback with more context of where Ahsoka's head is at, you know, or why she became the person she is or how she can better train Sabine? Like, I don't know. You know, this is very interesting to see him show up in this era. The spice that I would sprinkle on this is it's very hard to turn off the part of your brain that knows they've de-aged him to put him in this scene. It's interesting. You're looking at the you're looking at the character moment of like, wow, this is, you know, doing it for me on a story level. And to me, I was immediately thinking production, which took me out of the story. Uh, so that's my own darn fault. But, you know, it, it does look pretty good. And we just got to get used to that. That They're going to do that. You know, how oh, Tarkin was all CG in Rogue One. Tarkin, Tarkin looked great. I, but I think, well, in my opinion, Tarkin looked great. But I think it's because he has a very specific facial structure. So there isn't that kind of um, uncanny valley smoothness to it. I do think that we have talked, like we've talked about the production quality for this show and it's quote unquote a low budget production, I think is what it's been called. But in every other sense, I think the production quality has been the pergil that again, the transition from the waves to the world between worlds. There's so much stuff that looks so good. George Lucas innovates. Star Wars innovates. He comes up with this technology so that the future of entertainment can have this technology and iterate on it. So it's not perfect yet. Well, and make no mistake, I don't think it looks bad. And it certainly looks the best it's ever looked. It looks great. I'm not, I don't mean to comment on the quality of the the work, but just the fact that I know it's not just him. And it's it's the same thing with Ahsoka. Like she doesn't really have those Leiku things or whatever. They've made them look better than they looked in the last thing. Like they're always improving on it, of course. But just knowing that I'm like, well, here comes CG Anakin. Or even, you know, if this was CG Yoda or whatever other character, you know, just simply knowing that production fact, I'm thinking about that now rather than the story. It's a muscle we have to develop. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. So I watched it. I also watched it twice. First time I watched it alone. Second time I watched it with Lorelai. I didn't notice it at all the first time because I was so, maybe it's because I was seeing blurry at that point. I'm not crying. You're crying type deal. 
Or maybe it's because I was just so wrapped up in what was happening. I guess those two things are the same. But then when I watched it with Lorelai, she pointed it out. There's also like, you know, whatever he is, he's force ghost or he's embodiment of the world between worlds or whatever. It's not really... Maybe this is getting into left field theory territory, but maybe it's uncanny mm. because it's supposed to look a little odd. You yeah. know, it's it's not exactly him, or it's the version of him that like showed up at the new version of Return of the Jedi at the end, right? Well, it has to be a version that means something to Ahsoka. It couldn't be right. the old dude from the original trilogy, you know, original yeah. release, right? It has to be Clone Wars era Hayden Christensen, right? Yeah, yep. But I overall love that and cannot wait to see what happens next episode because it's Dave Filoni. They're they're even releasing episode five in like select theaters. Huh. Did you see that? Yeah, like AMC, select AMC theaters in like major metropolitan areas in the US. So like New York, Philadelphia, nowhere I can justify getting to, unfortunately, or I would 100%. But yeah, it's a big deal. And I can't wait to see what happens. The very end. So we see Anakin, and I have feelings. Let me lead you through. Let me let me lead you through what it was like for me. I see Anakin. I have feelings. He says, hey, Snips, I have a lot of feelings. And then cuts to black, and the caption says, Vader theme plays. And then we hear like a little bit of the Imperial March or whatever it is, right? So the rug got swept out from underneath me. Like, I was so happy. And then that happened. And then I was, it's another musical cue that occurs that's like, well, what does that mean? Right? It's a very cliffhanger, I think, even more than Balin at the end of last episode, because I'm so confused now about like, wait, I thought this was good. It's not good. It's, it might be bad. Yeah. So uh, is that something you picked up on first watch or is that an, uh, another thing you picked up on this? Well, I definitely picked up that it was ominous on the first watch. And then blatantly when they say Vader theme, which you're right, like yeah. Imperial March, you know, Vader theme. Why? Why is it evil? If he's Why? this redeemed version of Anakin or younger version of Anakin. Crazy left field theory. Right. If we want to do a quick left field theory, like that seems to be a, <laughs> I have been every voice that is in your head. You know, that's, it's one of those moments. Like yeah. it's not who you think it is. It's a, you know, facade. Yeah. Did you watch the Mortis arc of Clone Wars? I think so. I have some crazy left field theories about this, specifically because it says Vader theme at the end. If if it didn't say that, I would have been like, oh, happy times, good stuff. We're going to get something. But then it did that. I was like, okay, well, is this bad? Could it be the world between worlds manifesting itself in a bad way? Or could it be that Anakin is more representing the father who in the Mortis arc of the Clone Wars keeps balance? There's the father and the daughter and the son, and they're kind of like force gods they're referred to as, but they're force entities. The father keeps balance. The son is bad. The daughter's good. The daughter has more of a connection to Ahsoka and is represented sometimes as her bird, Moray, who's the owl uh, that we see briefly in Mando and haven't suspiciously have not seen in this series yet. And so is Anakin's presence there a representation of the son who was trying to manipulate Anakin and who represents the dark side of the force and is trying to manipulate Ahsoka and that's fallen Jedi, right? Or is it something else? I don't, there's a bad vibe, right? Mm, So, and specifically like that arc in the Clone Wars is one of my favorites. 
And understanding that not everyone will have seen that, but it's still going to be a surprise. But like, that is the most mystical Star Wars has ever been, that, that arc. It's like, they fall into this weird planet. Anakin's the chosen one. They put him through these trials to test to see if he's... And it's all like mystical, magical hoo-ha. And it's incredible. And if they do this in this Star Wars, I'm going to be so excited. Those are kind of my left crazy left field theories. Well, we definitely are going to get more of that world. She's not just going to accidentally get sucked out of it or else they would have done right. that in this one episode. She has a vision for one second and it's gone the next. She's there and we're going to get more of that. All will be revealed. I do think that it might also show her the pathway to Peridia. I do huh. think that there will be something in there because when we see Ezra use this, Ezra falls into the world between worlds several times actually in Rebels. But at the last time he uses it, there are portals that he uses to change the outcomes of certain events. I do think that this might show her the pathway to where she needs to go. Either that she can get to through that or that she can then know how to get there when she goes back and gets Hera and everything like that. Oh, it's just so amazing. I love, love, love this. I love seeing the connections to the animated stuff that I love very dearly. I love seeing the mystical stuff. This is the Star Wars that I have been waiting for. This is the Star Wars you have been looking for. <laughs> yeah, I'm down with that. Although I want to see a pergol wrapped around, uh, wrapped its tentacles around the ghost, and then whoosh, then we jump off yeah, the pretty. Let's that's, do it. That's my theory. Oh, because the pergol know how to get it's, there. Come on, it's yes. got to be the pergol, right? Yes. Questions asked and answered. Yes, yes, yes. It's cool because on that thing in the Stonehenge that Morgan activates, right? There's a bunch of pergol that go around that circle. Whereas in Rebels, the pathway, the portal to get into the world between worlds was the Loath Wolves. All of these animals play a very specific role as well. So there. I love it. 10 out of 10. Would watch again. Killing it. I love Star Wars, man. <laughs> I agree. What a way to end. We love Star Wars. If you <laughs> didn't already know. Listeners, we would love to keep this conversation going. Drop us some comments if you're here on YouTube or hit us up wherever you like to social media or listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit subscribe for more conversations about Ahsoka and other series. Thank you for listening to the show today. I've been Royce. I've been the father. And we've been Krypton, Krypton Cast. Cast.